Good morning. Uh, just before we dive in, I'd like to give you all the update to continue to be praying and being aware. Many of you are aware that we have two more Sundays after today in this space, and we are trying to figure out where we'll be three Sundays from that point, and we're working on it, and we don't have a final answer, and we believe that God is clearly overseeing and tending to us. But I just want to continue to keep that before you and ask that you be praying. We've got several conversations that are happening, and we're going to communicate with you as, as soon as we know something or have something set. But uh, I know that there's lots of people that are asking me in between and asking the hallways, so it's easier just to say it out front. That's where we are. September 17th will be our last Sunday here. We will communicate as things come together, and we would eagerly appreciate your ongoing prayers for God to clearly direct and tend to us. Would you join me as I pray over that and over this as we have these moments to open this text together? Let's pray. Our Father, I do ask that you, in all of your glory, would make yourself known to us as a people. And I dare, from this point, with lots of unknown in front of us as a community, just to say thank you. Thank you for the ways that you have interrupted some of our plans. Thank you for the ways that things have not operated according to my plan. In that, we have a hunger for you, and I pray that in that we would continue to see your glory. We have been on a glory hunt together as a community. God, we're, we want to see you. We want to welcome you in more and more. And even this morning, as we come to these moments and to this text, I'm asking that you would reveal yourself in grand and fresh ways, that you would open the eyes of our hearts to see you in all of your glory, that where awe has begun to wither in our lives, that it would be reawakened, that we would know how accessible and profound you are in a way that would alter our worship, that would expand our heart's capacity to, to celebrate you and to listen for your voice. So gracious God, who is on the move and who has all power, would you come now, meet with us, speak to us. We need you. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Amen. If you've been with us, you know that we're in the midst of a series called Show Me Your Glory. We're together as a community, tracing the beautiful golden thread of God's glory through the scriptures. God's glory, the radiance of his perfection and his beauty, the, the beauty of his character that radiates an unapproachable light, his glory that is the purpose for creation, the purpose for our existence moment to moment, and our end destination one day that will, that will cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. God's glory that is the reason pulsing underneath it all. We've been examining what does it look like to seek out and to experience, to delight in this character and beauty of God. We saw several weeks ago that Moses said it's better than anything that the world has to offer. And the week after that, we saw that it's actually a communal endeavor, that it's, it's not just one of us seeking God's glory, it's a community together, consecrated and prepared and united, 
that receives and experiences God's beauty in fresh and overwhelming ways. And then last week we saw that as a communal endeavor, one of the threats or the, the warnings that we have to be aware of is that grumbling grinds the gears of God's goodness. It actually stops our experience. It, it interrupts our experience of all that he has for us. So we said that gratitude actually paves the way for it. And we looked at each of those snapshots from the time of, of Moses and the time of the people waiting to enter the promised land. And now we're going to fast forward in the scriptures about six or 700 years. The people of God made it into the promised land. The tabernacle became a temple, and the glory of God filled the temple in the same way that it did the tabernacle. The glory of God continued to be central to what was causing the people to have an identity and a structure to who they were. But they continued to rebel against God, and now we are right on the, on the edge. They've just started to experience the realities of exile as they're pushed back out of the promised land in the book of Ezekiel. And here we come to a moment where the people of God are wondering, does the, does the glory of God still hold on the other side? Like, is the perfection and the beauty of God going to be able to be encountered in places that we didn't see coming, where it feels like maybe he's abandoned us or maybe he's left us? And what we're going to see, and one of the reasons that, that I love this Ezekiel 1 passage, and it was really crucial for this journey of pulling on the thread of God's glory through Scripture, is that this is the longest, most in-depth explanation of what it looks and feels like to encounter God's glory. A people that maybe thought they couldn't experience it in their current setting, they are. Ezekiel is going to experience the glory of God in this passage, and then he's going to tell us what it was like, what it sounded like, what the experience was. And we together are going to glean, what does it mean to experience the glory of God? We're going to see that when you experience the glory of God, it awakens awe in us. And we begin to realize just how accessible it is. And awe plus accessibility leads us to face down listening, to humble worship that is eager to hear from God. And we want to trace those steps and hope that God would bring us to the same posture together. I believe that by his spirit, he will. So the encountering God's glory, it, it awakens awe. Let's talk about what does it mean that God's glory awakens awe. Awe is something that, that does feel like it has withered on the vine in my life, that as I grow older, more mature, more responsible, have more explanations for things, can hold things together by my strategy and oversight and all of my insights, that oftentimes I'm less surprised, less dazzled. Unlike a a child with all of his or her awe, we have, as G.K. Chesterton calls it, committed the great sin of growing old. He says, God never did grow old, and we've grown older than our own God because we are less amazed and enthralled with all that goes around us, that awe withers on the vine if we don't pay attention to it. But encountering God's glory reawakens awe. And in this passage, it happens in, in a couple of different ways. The first is this. What does it look like to encounter God's glory and have it awaken awe? The first is this, that we realize that God's glory, his goodness, his perfection, his beauty, it is dynamic. It is not static. He's not stuck. He's on the move. I want you to just hear a few of the verses from this chapter as, 
as kind of a sampling of what it looks like to see God in all of his glory. You heard at the, at the culmination of this passage where we're heading, he's going to say, and all of this was me seeing his glory. And what we see throughout the way is that he's saying, as I saw it, it was marked by lots of movement, action, dynamism. Look at verse 4, 12, and 14, just as a sampling with me of this. It says this, as I looked, behold, a stormy wind came out of the north, a great cloud with brightness around it, fire flashing forth continually, and the midst of the fire, as it were, gleaming metal. So a big cloud full of lightning strikes and fire all around is coming in from the north. And then it says in verse 12, and each went straight forward. These are the living creatures that are a part of this that we'll explore. It says, wherever the spirit would go, they went without turning as they went. Verse 14, and the living creatures darted to and fro like the appearance of the flash of lightning. You see, lots and lots of movement as this vision of God's glory shows up. It's darting to and fro. It's like lightning. It's on the move. It's interesting, too, that it says that wherever they move, they they move easily. They don't even have to turn as they move. God's glory doesn't understand or experience frustration or traffic jams. That's not the way God's glory works. I made the mistake with my friend Derek this week to try to drive through the med center at 5 p.m. God bless all of you medical professionals that do this on the daily. Uh, I was supposed to be picking up my son. I was calling Ashley because I was like, okay, uh, it's going to take us 40 minutes to go 1.5 miles from one end to the other. I've made a terrible mistake, you know? And it's one of those where you keep changing lanes and then it slows down and the other one keeps going and the frustration that if there hadn't been someone in the car, I probably would have hit my steering wheel a few times. Like, come on! God's glory never experiences the frustration of a traffic jam. He is on the move, and he moves exactly according to how he pleases. Nothing is stopping or thwarting his perfect purposes and plans in the world, in your life, in our lives. He's not frustrated, and he's not stuck. And by the way, his ride is amazing. Let me read to you about the the way that this throne chariot is on the move. His his ride has wheels, and they're spectacular. Look at verses 17 through 21. He's not moving with frustration. He's moving with ease, and this is what it looks like. It says, when they went, they went in any of their four directions without turning as they went, and their rims were tall and awesome. I love that. He's rolling on dubs. You know, like he's got big amazing rims. They're awesome. And it says, uh, the rims were, all four were full of eyes all around. So they have vision to see where they're going to dart to and fro. When the living creatures went, the wheels went beside them. And when the living creatures rose from the earth, the wheels rose. And wherever the spirit wanted to go, they went. And the wheels rose along with them, for the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. And when those went, these went. When those stood, these stood. When those rose from the earth, the wheels rose along with them, for the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. You see, the first reality that begins to awaken the awe 
of Ezekiel is this recognition that he's seeing and experiencing something and what God is displaying about the perfection of his character is that he moves at will. He moves in power. He moves with speed. He moves without hindrance. He is a God on the move. It's interesting that there was another vision of God's glory a little over 100 years earlier from another prophet. And he saw God high and exalted in the temple, and it says that he was seated on the throne and that the foundations were shaking around him. And the idea was that the vision that Isaiah had been given in chapter 6 of God's glory was of a fixed reality. When Isaiah and the people were still living in the promised land, there was a certain idea that God is fixed in place in all of his radiant glory. But now God is revealing himself to his people, a people that have been displaced and wondering, is God still available to us? And the vision that he receives is of that throne, but that throne now has some spectacular wheels and is moving just how he pleases. I remember calling a friend of mine, a church planter that I had worked with years ago. We had done some training together. We had helped prepare and send this plant. And I called to check on how he was doing, how the work was moving forward. He was so excited, so enthusiastic. He knew that something special was happening. And the way that he told me, I called, I said, hey, man, how's it going? Catch me up on what's happening. And his introductory line was, the ghost is on the loose. <laughs> it was... I was like, oh, man, tell me more about that. He's like, Jeremiah, the Holy Ghost is alive, and he's moving, his power, and we are experiencing it. I love, I, I come back to that phrase so frequently. It was one of my favorite calls to a church planner to say that how can I describe what's happening other than to say the ghost is on the loose, or to say another way, the glory of God has some spectacular wheels. Uh, he is on the move. Secondly, you see, how does God's glory begin to awaken awe? It awakens awe as we recognize he, he's dynamic. He's not stuck. And his activity outstrips human language. Like we come to our lexical limits really quickly when we begin to experience God's glory. We, we realize that we've got this weak vessel that is words. And when we, when we just start to scrape the surface or the veil gets pulled back like a square inch and you get to peer in ever so slightly to who God is and what he's like and what he's doing, what we realize is that this vessel of our words is weak. It's unable to communicate in the ways that we want. And I want you to see this in this text the ways that Ezekiel is brought to the end of himself. We're not going to read all of these verses. I just want you to feel this with me. In verses 5 through 28, let me show you some of the phrases that I've highlighted for us. And I just want you to feel the way that he is grasping lexically. He's trying to figure out with his words. In verse 5, he says, the likeness of four living creatures. He's like, it was kind of like this. This was their appearance. They kind of appeared like this. It was kind of like this at the end of verse 5. They were like the sole of a calf's foot. It was like burnished bronze in verse 7. It was the likeness of their faces was kind of like this. He goes on to say, the likeness of the living creatures. Their appearance was kind of like burning coals. The likeness of appearance of torches was kind of moving. The likeness of a flash of lightning. He goes on to say, 
Uh, as for the appearance of the wheels, he's trying to explain and grasp at the appearance. It was kind of like the gleaming of beryl. The same likeness, their appearance was, as it were, a wheel within a wheel. He's trying to describe it. And then he goes on to say, the likeness of an expanse in verse 22. And again, as he gets closer to the glory of God, the hit rate on these phrases just skyrockets. It's like the sound of many waters. It's like the sound of the Almighty, like the sound of an army. It was the likeness of a throne. The likeness of a throne was, do you, do you feel it? All the way through, he says the appearance of, they had the appearance, so is the appearance. 30 plus times that he uses these phrases, that it looked kind of like this, it had the appearance of something like this, as it were, 30 plus times in 23 verses that what Ezekiel is saying is, you kind of just had to be there. <laughs> it's, it's actually really similar to what happens to John in the book of Revelation. It is the revelation of the glory of Jesus Christ, and he is constantly, it's like looking through a kaleidoscope. He's spinning it, and he's going, I don't know, it was this, and then it was this, and then all of a sudden it was this, and I don't... You just kind of had to experience it. Because the experience or the encounter of the glory of God awakens something in us. It awakens awe that outstrips our language. And it raises the question for me this week. I've been asking the question, how frequently does my language falter? How frequently am I brought to places that all of my tidy explanations, my propositional statements, how frequently am I brought to a place where I'm like, ah, yeah, kind of, but more and different and with words that I need like angel tongues to make sense of this. If we've lost our awe, chances are we've quit paying attention. That's what the Lord's been bringing me to this week. Because I'm sitting with Ezekiel, expansive awe enveloping him. What I've, what I've wrestled with is, no, I, don't, I haven't had visions like this, and maybe you haven't either. But at the same point, it, it's him seeing reality for us and letting us in on it. And I think that kind of vision that he has, that experience that he has, is an invitation for us to cultivate awe, to pay attention. I love the book... Uh, Notes from the Tilt-A-Whirl by N.D. Wilson. It's one of my favorites. It's a weird book, so I always, I've recommended it to a few people, and they're like, I, I didn't get it. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. So if you read it and don't like it, just don't tell me, because it's one of my very favorites. Um, but he calls it Notes from the Tilt-A-Whirl. Tilt-A-Whirl is that ride at the carnival that's just spinning in every direction. It has, like, no point of axis. And he says, that's kind of what it's like to live on the earth that we are hurtling through space at tens of thousands of miles an hour, and that there's all of this stuff happening around us. There's beauty, and it's all being held up by God's word moment to moment. As the trees bloom, and as they drop their leaves, and as we experience all that is happening, and N.D. Wilson explains, he said, there's actually been moments where I've gone out into my backyard, and I've gotten in all fours, and I've clung to the earth thinking, I don't want to go flying off. He's like trying to remind myself that I'm hurtling through space at thousands of miles an hour. And I just think, I want to see that image. I, I want to peer through the window and see him gripping the grass in the backyard. And what I've realized is that all he's doing is beginning to pay attention, to awaken awe that he lives in a wild and unruly world. 
We're told that the, that the glory of God is declared by the heavens. That if we pause and pay attention, we will see things that will bring us to our lexical limits. There's a book by Alan Lightman called Searching for Stars Off an Island in Maine. Are you familiar with Alan Lightman? He's, he's one of my favorites. Such an intriguing guy. Uh, he is a professor of physics at MIT and a creative writer. And he's taught both courses at MIT. Talk about the right and left that brain both firing. Like he's got the whole thing working. And uh, he's written these series of books. And as a good physicist, he has an explanation for everything. He would have called himself either an atheist or an agnostic throughout his journey. But this book, written in his late 60s, early 70s, about this experience of seeing stars off an island in Maine, is him realizing that after having such confidence for decades as a world-renowned scientist, is that spending a summer on this little island and beginning to pay attention. He says, I started to study. I would, I would look out at the stars at night. And then I'd take like a, a few square inches of dirt and I would just sit and stare for extended periods and watching ants and different things. And, and because of what he knows about science and what's happening at a cellular level that you can go all the way down and it feels like you're stretching into infinity and the smallest of of molecular realities. He says, you can't find an end, a, a basic unit, that there's all of a sudden this great expanse and infinity in the smallest spaces. And he says, and I was meditating on that, and then one night I was on a rowboat out in the water under the stars off this island in Maine all by myself, and all of a sudden I realized all of my explanations were insufficient. One of the greatest minds who had claimed that God doesn't really make sense, all of a sudden that night went, all right, I'm stretched between infinity in both directions, just dangling in the midst of both. And what he realized is, I don't have an explanation for that. There's something bigger than me. Alan Lightman is now in his mid-70s. He's continuing to write books about faith, trying to figure out what do I do with the fact that I don't have enough faith to not believe in a creator. You see... When we pause and pay attention, if we would just open our eyes and say, God, show me your glory, he'll bring us to our lexical limits. He will begin to give us visions of glory. It may not be a chariot of fire like this, but he will give us visions of glory. Yesterday afternoon, I was, I was oh, shoot. All right, I'll tell you that story some other time. You can ask me. It's a good one. You can ask me about it later, Mark. God's glory awakens awe. But that's not all. God's glory is profoundly accessible, even in the wrong places, even in exile. These people are by the Chabar Canal, 900 plus miles from Jerusalem because of their sin. They have forfeited the right to experience the glory of God. They have demeaned the glory of God. They have trampled the glory of God. They are distant from the glory of God. And the last vision that has been recorded of God's glory had it fixed in the temple. Read verses 1 through 3 with me and hear this reality that they are in the wrong place to be experiencing this. It says it was in the 30th year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day of the month. I was among the exiles by the Chabar Canal, and the heavens were opened, and I saw visions of God. On the fifth day of the month, as it was the fifth year of the exile of King Jehoiakim, 
the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel the priest, the son of Buzi, in the land of the Chaldeans by the Chabar Canal, and the hand of the Lord was upon him there. And I think if we could read it with original emphasis, that word there might be bolded and emphasized and have exclamation points after because the hand of the Lord being on him there. Everything would say, not there. This is the place of despair, of heartache, of loneliness, of loss, of disappointment, of desperation. This is the point where you feel like, I have been abandoned by God. And what this text says is that's where the glory of God showed up. Remember, he's got wheels, and he's on the move. And he's using those wheels for this purpose. He is declaring, listen, you think right now Nebuchadnezzar moves where he pleases, and he's got all the authority. He's the one that's conquering Jerusalem. But let me show you, there is a throne above the throne. There is a throne on fiery wheels that's darting to and fro, and he sits above all that is threatening you and destroying you. He sits enthroned above it all, and he's available to you even now. Isaiah's vision was in the temple. Ezekiel's now is unbound and on the move in his presence. Please, friends, I need you to resist this lie. The lie that says you have to wait until you get over or through or around the disappointment and the heartache and the devastation so you can get back to being in God's good graces and experiencing him. Thinking, I've messed this up. We're in a place of disappointment or heartache or destruction. And you think, ah, what do I have to do to put this back together so that God's glory can settle back down on me? Listen, resist the lie. He is on the move, and he's accessible to you in your heartache, in your disappointment, in your loneliness. He's not waiting for you to get things together. What he's waiting for you to do is to open your heart and to pay attention. He's available to you. God's glory is accessible even in exile. I met a friend last week who told me such a personal and haunting and beautiful story. He said, my wife and I, when we were pregnant with our first child, had been traveling, and I had to leave, and she, she was flying back home, and I left her in the airport and caught my flight, and, and he said, and she began to miscarry in the airport. He said she was all alone in an airport, in an airport bathroom, and she couldn't call me until my flight touched back down, and, and he said, and, and when we talked, she was obviously so overwhelmed and so sad, but what she said was, it really is okay. God was with me in that stall, and it was sacred. It was sacred as I said goodbye to our baby. And as he was sharing the story with me, I just realized, like, oh, the glory of God is not stuck in stained glass somewhere. He's not hovering, and he's not distant from your disappointment. What he's saying is, would you let me into it? I will meet you in it. He's so profoundly accessible. And when he shows up, he engages all of your senses. He meets you as a real person in all of your ways. 
We see it in verses 1 and 4 and 15 and 24 that it's his eyes and his ears that are beholding it. You'll see those verses behind me with those, verses, with those words highlighted that he saw things and he heard things. That God is not just looking to engage you in a tidy, intellectual, propositional way. That you've got all of your theology nice and tidy and tight, which we care about our theology. But what he's saying is, I want your theology to be lit ablaze with my very presence. Your theology is kindling for something more. God himself meeting you. Meeting you in a way that overwhelms your senses, your eyes and your ears engage as you're starting to say, look at what I'm seeing and hearing and experiencing. That you would start to realize if you engage the world prayerfully, in the season of fasting, if you're, if you're cultivating hunger with us as a family and you're walking through the world hungry for God and each time a hunger pain hits you, you say, God, show me your glory and then pay attention. Look. And don't look just for the things over and above the heartache, but stare into it. Say, what is God doing in the midst of this? You will realize that he is delighting your senses. He is lavish with his beauty. Psalm 29 tells the story of a, of a, of a lightning storm coming in. And they're tracing the lightning storm as it grows closer. And lightning strikes and thunder rumbles. And at the end, as the lightning strikes closely, it says everyone in the temple cried, glory. And you see, it's so earthy. It wasn't God doing anything. It was a deer giving birth as lightning was striking. But then they're in a moment of worship going, oh, it's all God's glory. What it's saying is it's so accessible if you would just pay attention to the lightning strike and the ant and the deer and even in that moment watching your child or engaging with a friend. What he's saying is my glory is dripping down. My character and my beauty is available to you if you would just pay attention. Pay attention right in the middle of your exile and disappointment. I will show you that I'm accessible. I'm engaging your senses. And then the last and most amazing twist in the book of Eze in this chapter of Ezekiel is that the accessibility of the glory of God is displayed in this fact. It shows up in a human appearance. For all the wildness of this chapter, we haven't, we haven't stepped through every verse, but you're getting the feel of it. Darting to and fro, torches, these, these animal kind of living creatures that have the face of ox and, and eagle and human. And they, I mean, it is expanding the imagination as we see it all. But when it finally comes to the point where he goes, ah, there's the glory of God, it's when all the noise quiets down and he sees above the expanse one in a human appearance. And I want you to feel it in these final verses because it's full of noise, thunderous energy, but then he sees something above it all. Hear it in verse 26 through 28. It says, above the expanse, over their heads, there was the likeness of a throne, an appearance like sapphire, and seated above the likeness of a throne was a likeness with a human appearance. And upward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw, as it were, gleaming metal, like the appearance of fire enclosed all around. And downward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw, as it were, the appearance of fire. And there was brightness around him, like the appearance of the bow that is in the clouds on the day of rain. So was the appearance of the brightness all around. Such was the appearance of the likeness, the glory of the Lord. Just before this, the angels were flapping their wings, and it sounded like Niagara Falls. He says, like, 
And then when they lowered their wings, it got quiet. They said, then I finally saw it. The glory of God. It was a person. And I love that he says, below his waist, it was fire. Above his waist, fire. (laughs) Just this fiery person. And around him was a rainbow. The promise that God will keep every one of his good promises upheld. You see, when he finally saw the glory of God in the midst of all the noise, in the midst of all the chaos, it was one that looked like a God-man. Man on fire. And in John chapter 1, what we learn is this, that the word became flesh, and he came and he dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son, The pinnacle of the glory of God above all the noise and all the movement and all the power is this one, the sun ablaze in the flames of his glory. And the biggest twist in the gospel of John is that the one who we've seen his glory, that his being raised up to draw him into himself, his being lifted up to display the fullness of his glory was not onto an amazing throne or onto a chariot with wheels, but onto a wooden cross because there the perfection and the power of God was displayed as becoming weak so that he could love and ransom his own. You see, it's the fiery one above, the one who who in in all of his glory inspires awe, who became low and weak and was spat upon. He conquered death, and now he stands and he speaks with authority. You see, the biggest twist, the most unexpected lightning strike that causes all in the temple to cry glory is when we recognize that you, the God who moves at will, who is never frustrated and is never stuck, allowed himself to be worked into this space, into this narrow space where he was pinned to a tree. Oh, God, your glory is different and bigger and better than we ever imagined. And friends, listen. Ezekiel's response is the only proper response to the good news of experiencing God's glory. Verse 28b, he falls down and he listens for the voice. Face down listening. (laughs) Humble and hungry, saying, I forfeit my ability to direct my life. I'm listening for your voice and for your direction. You have all the power and all the glory, and so here I am, low and listening. Friends, we want to be the sorts of people that say, God, show me your glory, and we experience his glory in all of its richness. If we do, it will awaken awe. We will realize how accessible he is, and there we will be stunned into a humility that is ready to listen and respond to whatever he has for us. Let me pray for us. Uh, God, would you show us your glory? Help us to be a people that don't run so quickly, so selfishly, um, that I I don't want to move in such a way that I miss your glory. 
And I pray that each of us would be the sorts of people who open our eyes and ears, who pay attention to what it is you're doing, that walk prayerfully through the world, and that you would give us vision beyond the veil. That we would be a people that listen for your voice and do as you say. Jesus, you are the glorious one. Thank you for what you've done in your death and resurrection. We are a people awaiting your word. We will go where you say. We will do as you please. We bless you and thank you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.